If you want to grab uh, your Bible, turn to the book of Romans. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, so you might want to jot down scriptures to read later. But I always think it's good for you to know kind of, like, where does he get this stuff? So basically, I'm talking about Paul's missionary journeys today. Um, First week, we talked about who Paul was. Second week, we talked about what he wrote. Today, we're going to talk about his missionary journeys and why that matters to us 2,000 years later. There's some different reasons, but... I think they're good. I think it's good for us to know. Um, And the journeys just, you know, take place in the book of Acts. It kind of talks about them. But the result is much of what he wrote. Either he wrote to these churches because he wanted to see them on a journey or he'd met them. And so I think you have to understand why did Paul go? That's where it first begins. So why did Paul go? His first journey is in the year 46. So roughly if you recall, that'd be about eight to ten years after he first accepts Christ. We know for three years, the first three years he spends just learning more about who Jesus is. He has this encounter after persecuting Christians, killing them, and so then he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and after that event occurs, he goes and spends three years just learning. And I think that that's really telling of who he was as a person. Because we already know that Paul was from an educated family and was an educated man. We know that he learned in an exclusive school, that we learned that from his writings, that he was sent away to this school. It's a school of philosophy and thought. And so we know that he's a thinker. We know that he's educated. We know that he's a person who is deep and mindful about things. And yet, when he has an encounter with Christ, he wants to know, who is this Jesus? And so... To give you a little bit more perspective, Paul would have been in his 40s at this point. So if you're thinking you're too old to do anything for God, you're not. I've even known people older than that that went and did great things for Jesus. I know, hard to believe. Um, He'd been a Christian, like I said, about 10 years. And during that 10 years, we have the idea that much of that time was just spent studying and learning and growing. And then we also know that He's been a Christian for 10 years, and he's learned from a lot of different people. And so he's trying to understand the difference between just the pure philosophy and the reality of who Jesus is. And we see that a lot in his writings, where he's like, if this is so, then this must be so. Like, he's literally working these things out. In his writings, in real time, if this is true, then this must be true also. And if this is who God is, then this must be real in my life. And so he does a journey in 46. It lasts about two years. He gets home or back. He's home for about a year. Does his second journey. That one lasts about two years. Does his third journey. That one lasts a little over three years. Then his final journey, he goes on in the year 59. He goes into Rome. And uh, each journey, he spreads farther and farther and farther out. And each time, he kind of covers more and more people. Goes back to some of the same places, but then moves on to go to new things. So why did Paul go? What, what in him compels him to go? What in each of us should compel us to do something? First off, he wants to tell the people who Jesus is and what he's done. And the reason this is so critical to Paul is this. He spent years persecuting, executing, chasing Christians. And he wants to understand what is it about these people that makes them go to this anyway. Because they know that in certain cities, it can be a death sentence if you're found there to be a follower of Jesus, a follower, of, as they call it, of the way. 
So if it's a death sentence, why would they want to do this? And then once Paul has this encounter, he thinks, everybody needs to know this truth. How many of you in your life, and you don't even have to raise your hand, but just think about it, how many of you in your life wish you could get one person, one specific person, to know the truth of who Jesus is? Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's somebody that, you know, you have a a meaningful relationship with. Maybe it's your boss at work. You've tried to live it, you've tried to show it, you've tried to share it. But in your life, is there somebody you wish you could have encountered Jesus? See, I say all the time, people can argue logic with me or say, I don't believe Jesus was here or I don't believe in a literal crucifixion and resurrection. I believe, they can argue all those things. What they can never take away from me is my personal experience of how I've encountered Jesus. And so I have to know and be able to articulate what I've experienced if I want this to be real for the people around me. And it can't just be something that I go, well, this is how it is if I haven't experienced it. I can tell you the facts of what I know to be true from study and from history, but still at the end of the day, much of that is speculation on the part of another theologian who, you know, lived 500 years ago that I've read that I go, oh yeah, this makes sense. That's how I've come to my conclusions. What they can't take away from me is my experience. Paul wants to share his experience. The reason he feels compelled to go is if I go, I can tell them who I was, I can tell them what I've experienced. The second reason Paul goes is he believes deep within him there's a calling. From the very beginning, from when Paul is first, says, cursing the Christians and spitting out threats. From the very beginning, when he's doing that, he does it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. He doesn't do it just because he's a jerk. He does it because he thinks these people are going against the way of what the Bible says, what the Old Testament said, and then suddenly he encounters Jesus And it changes his whole thought, philosophy, and mindset. Once he has that personal encounter with Jesus, now he's got this calling because he has to let other people know, here's who I was, but that's not who I am anymore. Third reason Paul goes is he wants to disciple people. We see that through his letters. Many of the people he goes to are not people who have never heard. Many of the people he goes to are people who are already following but he wants to help them understand it better, wants to help them know, wants to learn and grow himself, wanted to strengthen relationships, wanted to correct wrong theology, and wanted to understand why they were teaching and preaching the way they were. Many times throughout Paul's writings, he says, I look forward to coming to you. He's writing this to people that are already believers, already followers of the way, but in that, he talks about learning from each other, growing together, learning together. Because he knows he has something to bring, but he's smart enough to know he doesn't know it all. The person who walks into the room, whether they're the smartest person or not, but believes that they know it all, you're in trouble when you try to have a relationship, a conversation with that person. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody, maybe you're a nurse, maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're an attorney, maybe you're whatever, and you have somebody who comes in and starts telling you how to do your job. My mom used to say it was amazing to her how many teaching professionals came into her when she had a parent-teacher conferences and told her how she should do her job when they were stay-at-home parents or they were farmers or they were, but she goes, man, they're all education experts when they walk in to tell me how I should be teaching their kids. Anybody ever experienced that in your life? See, again, different type of thing, but oftentimes people will tell me how I should be running the church. And it's not that I don't want to listen, it's just that I'm like, it's not always as black and white, it's not always as cut and dry as you think. 
Because I'll tell you right now, if I make one group of people happy, there is somebody who's going to be really unhappy with me. Somebody in here that you go, no, we all love each other. Yes, we do, but only because of Jesus, because if you got to know each other, you might not. <laughs> Let's just be honest. We're supposed to, we're called to, we strive to, but we're still dealing with people. You ever have a neighbor that was tough to deal with? You're called to love them, but it's not always easy. I have a friend who literally parked his car on the street because he had his driveway repaved. He lived in a little neighborhood, kind of cul-de-sac. It wasn't a narrow street. He parked his car. He had a note the next morning. We're not allowed to park cars. on. It was in front of his house on the street, and his driveway was literally blocked to be repaved. But somebody made sure they let him know, you're not supposed to do that. It's like, I don't know if they wanted me to park on my lawn, park in a different neighborhood. We were having the conversation. I was like, yeah, people are the worst. People are so hard. And yet, Paul desires that we learn from each other and grow with each other and discover more of who Jesus is together. And we do that when we spend time together. And that's why people say, why do you do all these extra events? You're not a social coordinator. No, I'm not. But the reason we do things like we're, we're doing summer barbecues, we do Super Bowl parties, we do whatever it is, trunk or treat, whatever it is we do, I do because when we get together, yes, it's not always easy and it's a lot of work, but it helps us get to know each other. I don't get to know you that well on a Sunday between 9.55 and 11.05. Believe it or not, I don't feel like I know you at a deep level. I might learn something about you, something about your family. You might tell me something in passing. The problem is, I always say, if it's really important, email me or make sure I got it in my calendar because I will forget. But to get to know each other means we have to work through our differences and strive to love one another, strive to understand where someone else is coming from. Paul goes because he wants to understand who these people are, why they believe that way, and help point them to who Jesus is. So the first place Paul goes is through basically through the Middle East, mainly places he had already known and places he had already been. And this is where he's trying to meet with other Christians, and many of them don't want to meet with him because they know his reputation. The second journey is through Europe, Southern Europe, and Asia Minor. His third was concentrated heavily on Greece. And then his fourth one, and his final, he goes through again, through Asia Minor, through Southern Europe, and then up into Italy, and finally on into Rome, which is where he meets his demise, but also where he's headed because he wants to have this interaction, this encounter. Because if you recall, he claimed to be a Roman citizen, and we talked about that the first week because it was a claim that no one could execute him if he was a Roman citizen. However, for falsely claiming it, you could be executed immediately. And so he claims to be a Roman citizen, we know that his father and po probably his grandfather were both Roman citizens. So we know that they were a well-known family, and he wants to get back there because he wants to make his statement there. Paul did this knowing that he was going to be rejected. All right, so now the part that matters to us today. So that's just all background. That's just all a little bit of history. So why does that matter to us today? i got a few reasons. Uh, first, Paul shares that all have sinned. Romans 3, 10, and 10 through 12. You might want to write them down, because like I said, I'm going to read a bunch in a row. And it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. 
They have all turned aside. They have all become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. No, not one. In other words, if you thought you didn't need salvation, Paul's saying you do, that you're a sinner. And as a sinner, just know you have to have a Savior. Romans 10, 4 tells us this. It says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Second thing we learn from Paul, first is that you're all sinners. The second thing is there is justification. There is hope. Paul wants you to understand that there's hope. So as Paul goes on his missionary journey, first off, he has to get people to understand, you're not good. And the second thing he has to get people to understand is there is hope. And see, for many of the people in that part of the world at that time, they were offering sacrifices to false gods. They offered sacrifices to false gods because they wanted to atone, they wanted to appease, they recognized they'd done something wrong, but they didn't know how to connect. So now Paul says, hey, there is hope because there is justification through our faith, but our faith has to be put in the one true God. Paul even uses this as an opportunity at one point to say, when he goes into one city, and the story tells us in Acts is that he goes in and he's looking at all the temples and all the altars, and there's one that's to an unknown God. And he says, who is this? And they, they say, that's the unknown God. In other words, if all the gods we covered don't do it, we've got one just in case. And he goes, let me tell you about that unknown God. I know who that God is. And so they're very intrigued. They're like, really? Tell us more. And he begins, basically lays out the story of the foundation of the gospel. He goes, not only is this an unknown God, this is the God above all other gods. This is the one that makes all other gods worthless, null, and void. You no longer have to worship them or seek them, and here's why. And he lays that out. What we can learn from Paul's life is that he looks for opportunities to help people understand who Jesus is. The third thing we get from Paul out of Romans 4, 4 through 5 says this. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In other words, you're not going to work your way to salvation. And yet Paul is also quick to say, your works should glorify God. You're not going to get there through your works. You can't earn your salvation. But you know what? Your works should be a result of your salvation. They should pour out of, okay, so I know Jesus, which means I can't be the same which means I need to find ways to love and serve others. And if we're looking for that opportunity that I'm going to work my way to heaven by doing these good things, then we miss the very point which he's trying to make, which is you can't do it. Your works are counted as nothing. They're nothing without Christ. But in Christ, they're a reflection of who you are. Salvation comes by grace, not through our works. 1 Corinthians 5 17 tells us this, and it says, I'm sorry, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Sorry about that. Sometimes I jot things down wrong. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are a new people. Paul wants them to know you are a new people. Paul's going to tell them because they're, are still trying to follow the law and follow Jesus. And Paul says all that does is lead to religiosity, ritual, tradition, but not life. 
And oftentimes we do the same thing today. We follow a bunch of rules, and as long as I'm counted okay, as long as people think I'm good, then I don't really work on change. And what he says is, stop trying to be who you were and take on who you are. You are a new person. All that stuff in the past is there in the past. But as we walk in that newness, that's our hope. That alone is your hope. And so if you're still holding on to the past, you're not really grabbing on to who you are now, you're still holding on to the past, then we're lost. We're just as lost. We're just lost people who know a little more. We're just educated, but not changed. And Paul says, you can be changed. You can be a new creation. You don't have to just be a better version of what you were. Another thing we learn from Paul's life is this. A life filled with the Holy Spirit has fruit of that Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 25 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I'm going to read one more verse. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to back up to the end of verse 23, because some people don't quite catch that. Against such there is no law. The reason he writes that is this. There were all these religious leaders who were still under the law, And we're saying, well, that's fine. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you still can't eat this. You can't wear that. You can't do this. You can't go here. You can't do that. And it's the same thing we did throughout history. Over and over, we've just recycled the same thing. And we go, it's the old pendulum on the clock. We get a little too far one way, then we go the other way. Then we realize, oh, wait, we're no longer in the center. And then we go way back. And so we make rules and rituals, and you can't go to movies, and you can't dance, and you can't listen to this music, and you can't do that, and we make all these rules because we want to make people fit into a mold because that worked for us to help us get our lives, which we're so far off track, back on. But then it just becomes rules, and it becomes so restrictive that people can no longer follow. And yet, within it, when we're passionate about Jesus, there's something in us that doesn't want to stray, that wants to stay close to him that wants to be connected to him. When we see the fruit of this life that is filled with the Spirit, there's no law that's going to tell you these aren't real. There's no law that's going to tell you, okay, that's great, you can have all those things as long as you also don't do this and this and this. He doesn't want us living a life of destruction or destructive behaviors. He doesn't want us living a life that's damaging to ourselves. At the same time, he looks and he says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to want to turn from those things. You're going to want to turn from the things that bring you pain and cause you misery or they're substitutes for filling who we really are. Because we live in a world where we're constantly trying to substitute one thing for another. Much of substance abuse is about substituting an emptiness for something that makes you feel less empty. And yet once you're addicted, it traps us 
and we're stuck and we can't move forward. And so we, we do that all the time. People at work all the time. You're always at work, you're always working, you're never not working. There's probably a reason that you're doing that. I'm not talking about seasons in life. There's seasons in life that are busier. My wife's job, she has certain seasons, about four to five months a year. She works 15, 16 hour days. But now this season, she gets to come home at five o'clock or gets to catch my son's baseball games occasionally. There are seasons. But if everything you are is about your job or about your identity as whatever you are, your occupation, and your identity is no longer in Christ, it's because we're trying to fill the emptiness, the I'm not good enough and I'll never be good enough, the I'm not accepted, and we're trying to fill something that Paul's saying the Holy Spirit wants to fill that with who he is. And he wants that poured out through you into the lives of other people. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, it says, we're called to reach people. And I think this one's hard because we don't want to be weird and we don't want to get in people's faces. But we're called to reach people, to serve people. Starting at verse 19, verse 22 is my focus. It says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became a Jew that I might win the Jews and to those who were who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. In other words, I'm Jewish, and I'm going to cling to that culture to win them. But to those who are not, to the Gentiles who aren't under the law, I'm going to connect with them, and I'm going to remind them that Jesus came for them too. And this is where Some of you know that Peter and Paul early on are in alignment and then they go off in different directions. And here's why. Peter was all about grace being and salvation being for the Gentile, but once they got saved, he said you have to follow Jewish laws. And Paul says, no, that's not true. That Jesus came so that you don't have to be under that law at all anymore. That nobody has to be. And yet, he's also very careful to say, if you want to choose to live by those religious laws, that's fine, but that's not going to be your salvation. In other words, if you say, hey, it may be okay to do this, but as a personal stand, I'm not doing that. I'm not living my life that way. Great. As long as you understand that under Jesus is what leads us to our salvation, not under, hey, I follow more rules than you do. Picking up again on the text. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Are we connecting and being what people need? Are we a light in the darkness? Or do we just hide who we are because we don't want to stand out? I say all the time, the world doesn't need more weirdos. We've got plenty of them. You don't have to be the weird Christian. But you know what you can be? is real and genuine and sharing your faith and showing your faith. Letting the world that desperately needs something see who you are. And as I have said many times, and I'll say the rest of my life, God loves you exactly as you are, 
and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. People will ask me, well, do you believe such and such or this and that can be a Christian? I'm like, anyone can be a Christian. Anybody that wants to choose to call on the name of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to work in their heart and try to get them to change things. Now, some sins we see and we go, well, that's a sin, and we want to point at it and you know, put up a wall and all these other things. And my take is always this. But so is lying and gossiping. So is greed. So is selfishness. So is bigotry. All of these are sins too. And which ones does God want to work out through us? People want to pin me down. But what do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about that? That God is bigger than me. And I'm so glad he is. Because believe me, if I were God, a whole lot of you all wouldn't be making it. Let's just be honest. And if you were God, I probably wouldn't be either. Paul took a journey because he desired for people to know the truth. And we live in a different world. Our world and our society is different today. You couldn't even go on Paul's journey without a passport anymore. He hits bunches of different countries, all kinds of different cities. It'd be a very expensive trip to take. But what are we to do with that? Am I saying all of you have to go? No, that's not even possible. But are we actively sharing the gospel, the literal good news of the salvation that Jesus offers by our words, by our actions, and by the way we love people? Are we doing that? Because Paul tells us we're supposed to. I never look at people as a target to get them into my church. I look at people as humans and think, oh, they need to be loved because they're human. And yet I'm also not afraid to invite and include and bring and say, hey, you should come and check out our church. And I don't ever want people to feel like I'm trying to get them just so that they'll come. But I don't ever want to miss the opportunity that says, I believe in what we're doing here. We're not perfect, we're far from it. But we're a community of people that genuinely loves Jesus. Let's show the world that. Am I connecting with missions so that others can know? In other words, do I care that there are lost in the world? You know, there's a lot of controversy over what do we do with immigration or what do we do with a war in another country or what do we do with this and what do we do with that? We cannot solve the world's problems, but what we can do is make sure that we take time to love those we can love, to support those who are doing it, the work of the gospel, one of the greatest things we can do is give to missions. Not because, you know, oh, I'll feel good about myself if I just do this. The reason it's great is because it says, I recognize that there's a need for Jesus. That's what it says. I don't have all the ideas. I don't have all the solutions. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how we do it. What I know is the world needs Jesus, and there's somebody willing to go share and tell, and i got to support that and believe in that. You know, we have a missions committee here at the church and they talk about who are we going to support and what are we going to do and they work on our missions budget for, you know, 18 months to two years at a time and if you haven't looked at the bulletin board, they've started updating and keeping the bulletin board updated again and they do those things because they want to make it easier for you as the church to know that we're partnering with somebody around the world and I'm, we're not saying we've got it all together. What we're saying is Hey, these people are doing something, and we can't do everything, but we got to do something. 
So we have our local partners like Transform and Lighthouse. We have our global partners that are there all the time, uh, like the missionaries in Russia and um, the Seaberries who are over in Marseille. And then we have those who go on shorter trips, the Kingsberries who lead four to five trips a year that are teaching trips. You know, we have a bunch of different things. And what we're trying to do is say, hey, we value people that want to share the gospel with other people. Well, let's be a people who recognizes I'm a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I believe Jesus is the way, and people need to know that. If we can recognize those things in our own life, then it inspires and challenges us. The last, this will be our fifth year down in Mexico, I believe, in the modern era. I've been going since 2001, so I lose track of how long I've been taking people from here. We take 15 to 20 people. Last year we took 22. This year I think we have 22, 23 people signed up to go to Mexico. And it is hot. And we're talking one step from Africa hot. (laughs) 115 degrees, you feel like you're going to melt out there. And we sit there and, you know, people, some people say, well, what, you did all that and there were only 12 kids that came? And I think, yeah, we did all that. And there were 12 kids that came. Why? I have no idea. It's nothing against the people that go, but I can't figure out why they ever come or why they come back the next day, but they do. And we paint a church building. Some people say, how many times can you paint it? Well, probably, this will probably be my 12th, 13th time of painting that church building because it's surrounded by dirt in an area that the summer gets to be 115 degrees. It bakes. And we're going to paint the church building. Why? Because we have brothers and sisters in Christ that live there, and we're going to say, hey, we can't do everything, but we can do this. We're going to put in some new lights and get them some new speakers for the church. Last year, we got got some appliances for the orphanage, some appliances for the church. We're going to get a washer and dryer this year for the orphanage. Why? Does a washer and dryer mean they'll know Jesus? No. But you know what? Don't they deserve to have some clean clothes? We say we love them, we take them a bunch of clothes and then go, boy, those are all dirty. Why don't we let them have a washer and dryer? You know, last year, we bought chickens, built a chicken coop, and planted trees. How is that the gospel, Jeff? Literally, somebody said, well, that doesn't seem... And I said, what do you think Jesus would do? I said, God created everything. He didn't just create people. I don't know if that was a good answer. I was mad at the time. I was like, what do you mean? We do this because we want to show people the reality of who Jesus is. That's what we're called to do, is I'm called to love and to serve. And it doesn't mean I'm not, that I'm going to change the world. I may push a stone all day down there. I'm only going to do it because the stone needs to be moved. In the big scheme of things, does it make any difference? I don't know. But what I can do is I can stand before Jesus and say, I did everything I could to show the world who you were. Paul goes on these trips because he wants to show the world who Jesus is. Could Paul have used a better travel agent? Yes. He gets shipwrecked. He gets lost. He gets bit by a snake. What type of trips is he taking? But you know what his heart is? It's to show the world who Jesus is. My heart and my passion is to show the world who Jesus is. And I want to take that on because I believe I believe with all of me that Jesus is what's keeping us from changing the world. Not stopping us, but their lack of understanding and relationship with him is what's causing the issues and the problems. 
There's always going to be pain. There's always going to be loss. It says in the scripture, the poor will always be among you, but it doesn't say don't care for the poor. It says they'll always be with you. You know why they're always going to be with us? Because he wants us to continue to be a people of compassion. Jesus doesn't make people poor. The world and society makes people poor. What are we going to do about it? Am I going to love those who need to be loved? I'm going to serve those who need to be served. Those are the questions that Paul forces me into asking myself. Because like I said, he went even after all the issues he faced, he still continues to go. And that's a beautiful picture of what we ought to do. Next week, uh, Jim Williams will be sharing with you guys. Some of you know Jim. He was our interim pastor um, prior to my arrival. And Jim and and Susan actually attend our church. That's not why they were the interim pastors. The first time he was an interim pastor, and he came to me about three weeks after I got there and said, Jeff, I really like your style. Would you be okay with me coming to the church? And I was like, absolutely. I'd love it if you came to our church. So some of you are going to, some of you know Jim, some of you have heard him before. He's a counselor by profession and um, just a compassionate, compassionate person. So Jim will be here next week. Tracy and I will be at uh, Foursquare Convention down in Nashville. And then the following week, I'll be finishing up on Paul. So I'm letting it squeeze into June. So I hope that you'll join me for that. Sorry, I'm drinking so much today. Um, had a little kidney stone issue, so I was doubled over in pain yesterday as I was trying to fix up, put in some tile on our floor, and uh, it was not good. I kept trying to shift positions, sitting on the floor different ways. Still didn't stop it from hurting. As I close out today, sorry, that was a total sideways note. <laughs> As I close out today, let me just say this. Um, in about three weeks, four weeks, we'll be heading down to Mexico again. We'll be receiving an offering to go. I don't do it because I need a great week in Mexico because there's better places I could go in Mexico. I do it because I want us to connect and partner and share and show and understand there's people that follow Jesus all over the world. Their lives aren't simple and easy. But the grace of Jesus is so beautiful and the Holy Spirit is so evident. Let's be a people who look for that in our lives. Look to share and to show Jesus in all that we do. Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you, God, that you accept and reach out, connect, and you've saved us from who we are and are helping us to be who you created us to be. Let us know you more and see you more. Let's be changed, not because we're not good enough, but because of who you are in your grace. You see us, and you don't want us to stay the same. Thank you, Jesus, for all you do in your name. Amen.